solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 19, The Servant of Lord Voldemort. We have Molly back with us. Hello, it's been everyone. A, it's been a while since you've been on. I know. This is I like the, the night bus chapter somewhere yeah. around there. So yeah, it's been a hot minute. It's been a long time. So yeah. I'm sure you have a lot of takes and stuff like that I over all of the discussions. But definitely do. This chapter is pretty interesting. We just came off of uh, very Marauders-heavy chapters, uh, kind of giving the history of... Uh, Lupin and James and Sirius and Peter. Um, big chapters, even though one of them was only like a handful of pages <laughs> long. But this chapter, we ended the last chapter on a big Snape walks in and reveals himself in a as only Snape can in this overly dramatic... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And this chapter basically starts off with Snape announcing his presence and confronting Lupin and Sirius and having a back and forth with Hermione and Harry, which escalates to an aggressive level. <laughs> and uh, and then we get more from Sirius. Sirius really steps up and, and takes a more vocal role other than, you know, more than just one will die tonight and, you know, all of that gloom and uh, doom that he was portraying in the earlier chapters. So... Uh, we get a little bit more of Sirius. Uh, Lupin and Sirius try to piece together that night of Lillian James's uh, death. Um, Lupin tries to piece it together. Sirius adds in some details. And then we really get the full story uh, with Peter a little bit. Peter yeah. is revealed, and he tries to get his way out of being punished by Sirius and Lupin. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Lupin and Ron at the end kind of have a little uh, bonding moment after where they were in <laughs> one of the, the last chapters. So um, there is a lot going on in this, but Snape gets a good chunk of it. And uh, you know, right off the bat, I just got to say, there's this is one of the reasons Julie and I say don't leave things behind. Yep. And I get Harry was in a state, and there was a lot going on. But he left the cloak behind, and that's how Snape slid his way into the Shrieking Shack unnoticed. Yep. But Snape's an interesting character in this chapter, I feel like. Oh, for sure. He's a little deranged. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in his most logical, calm mind. No. And I think you get a sense of just how dangerous Snape can be. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes for Lupin immediately and disables Lupin. Yeah. And then he has this line after Sirius comes after him. He points his wand directly at Sirius's head and says, quote, give me a reason. Give me a reason to do it, and I swear I will. Yep. And Sirius stops cold in his tracks. Yeah. And doesn't make another step forward. A menacing, chilling line from Snape after he just disabled Lupin fairly easily. Yeah. What do you think about that line with Snape? What do you think about his early interactions with Lupin and Sirius here? Um, you know, I think obviously things are very heated at this point. Um, there's a lot of like miscommunications and new findings that we're figuring out. Um, I also underlined that too, because clearly these interactions, you're like, all right. Yeah. Like, uh, these these people, this group of people, they do not get along. They do not intermingle well. There's a little animosity here. Yeah. Uh, going all the way back to their childhood. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, you know, we see McGonagall doing magic, and we see some of the other professors, Flitwick, doing magic. But you don't really see Snape doing magic like that because no. he's in the potions. 
room and he's, you know, brewing stuff. Right. Um, here, I think Harry and Hermione at least, and Ron are mm-hmm. just like, oh, yeah. he, he is a threatening presence when yeah. provoked. And he's a talented wizard. Like, yes. he's not just some schmo with potions. Like, you know, he's always wanted that defense against the dark arts, you know. Right, exactly. And, like, he's a, he's a talented wizard. So. He's formidable in many different ways. Yeah. Um, he has some, uh, obviously, he always gets annoyed by Hermione and Harry mm-hmm. uh, pretty regularly. But here, he has a very short temper. He's already kind of off the reservation a little bit. <laughs> and he has some really sharp comebacks. The first one he, he goes, when Hermione tries to s- slow the process down and be like, let's take a step here. Mm-hmm. And he comes back at her with hold your tongue, which is clearly just a better way uh, of saying, you know, shut up. The British <laughs> shut way. <it."> of... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Saying shut up. <laughs> yep. Um, and then JK just hits the caps lock button. Yes. And goes all caps. Oh, yeah. And the worst insult I think Snape could have given Hermione was keep quiet, you stupid girl. Yeah. Which, uh, that's probably the worst thing you could probably say to Hermione. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, goes, don't talk about what you don't understand, which they understand, I think, more than Snape realizes at this point. Because, mm-hmm. uh, A, I don't think he heard all of what Lupin has been saying and right. and what Lupin has told Harry in the past, but... Um, there's obviously some, some, some stuff going on with Snape right now. Yeah. Lots of, lots of, uh, emotions. I did take note though, because her, Harry also speaks up, not only Hermione. And it took Snape, we've talked many times on this podcast about Harry flying off the handle, not exactly thinking the most logically. Yes. Here, stunningly, Mm -hmm. in the presence of Snape, he comes and says... Something very calmly, like Professor Lupin could have killed me a hundred times this year. I've been alone with him a hundred uh, loads of times. You know, defensive lessons against the Dementors. Mm-hmm. If he was helping Black, why didn't he just finish me off during one of those? Right. Calm, logical, well presented argument. Mm-hmm. Snape doesn't even really come back all that harshly. It's just don't ask me to fathom the way a werewolf's mind works. Get out of the way, Potter. Like, not all caps, just right. like a whatever, just a dismissive right. thing. Right. Then Harry flips to, like, a hundred. Yes. From, like, zero to a hundred real quick. Right. And JK hits the all caps button again and goes, you're pathetic, Harry yelled. <laughs> just because they made a fool of you at school, you won't even listen. Yeah. <laughs> Aggressive. It's yeah. very, like... It goes from zero to a hundred. Lots of emotions happening. Wow. Yeah. Like, I almost got whiplash from that yeah. change in tone. Right. It's insane. Uh, to which Snape shockingly replied, Silence, I will not be spoken to like that. Which I feel like is any adult's response to... Oh, for sure. A child throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah. You, you know? A temper tantrum sounds like I'm dismissing this whole... Yeah. Obviously, Harry's invested in this to a deeper level. Right. But when you just go from, like, calm voice to all of a sudden you're screaming at me, it's like, child. Right. <laughs> like, you right. Tone right. down a bit. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I don't know. I just noticed that Harry for once is actually calm and it only lasted, like, three sentences. Right. Yes. Calm, calm, calm. Ah! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't know that Harry really... He's so biased against Snape for good reason. Right. Like, I don't think he's able to see a lot of where Snape's coming from in this. Mm-hmm. Um, nor should he. He's a 13-year-old kid. Plus, he only knows what he knows. And, yeah. you know, also, too, I mean, if like, it's an argument. It's a... it's a. Um... They made a fool of you at school. They almost got you right. killed that one time. But get right. over that. Like, <laughs> yeah. put on the fact that he's, yeah. like, 13 years old, yeah. like, and it's an argument, like... Most of the time, people will say things that they don't always aren't clear-headed with thinking, mm-hmm. you know? So, not that I'm, like, defend. I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, Snape is obviously in an aggressive state of mind here. Yeah. And he's lost a little bit of his usual calm and control demeanor. Right. And I guess Harry's just mimicking that almost to right. a level. and. Going back at it with the same level of... <laughs> right. 
But anyway. Um, last, like, three chapters. Yeah, like, three chapters. It's all very much like a roller coaster that you're just on. <laughs> very much so, yeah. You know? It, very much. And people that have watched the movie, because I know Anna hates the movie. I know most Harry Potter book fans hate the movie because yeah. they cut out a lot of Lupin specifically his dialogue they do some of this word for word yeah <clears throat> but more of the dramatic like one-liners mm -hmm. they do word for word like Ron and, and Sirius have good one-liners but they cut a lot of Lupin's monologues out of this the the you know for lack of a better term like the exposition dumps yes uh, and obviously that's a lot of the marauder information and it's a lot of background that you get for which a lot of people just love the marauders uh and want that information included <laughs> and exactly for people that don't even watch the movies you don't know that background then right which is a shame but anyway i digress yeah anyway so snape ends up getting hit <clears throat> by his the spell that he taught them if we remember that from the Dueling Club way back in Chamber of Secrets, Harry hits him with Expelliarmus, but not only him, uh, Ron and Hermione also hit Snape with the Expelliarmus spell, sending him crashing into a wall. Yeah. And being unconscious, which opens up the floor now for Lupin and Sirius to have uh, the floor, if, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. And essentially they're like, this is stupid. Mm -hmm. Let's just prove this to you once and for all. Yeah. Like, give me the rat, and we'll prove to you that it's Peter. And if it's not Peter, then the rat's going to be fine. Right. And we'll just go about our business and bring right. Sirius back to the castle. Right. So they do. They describe this, uh, JK describes this uh, somewhat grotesque transformation of Peter back into a human. Oh, it's so gross. Like, I when I was rereading it, I was like, ooh. Like... She really did a good job of, like, displaying and describing, like, his personality and, like, mm -hmm. human form. Yeah, we had kind of discussed um, in the last episode where Anna's talking about Animagus mm -hmm. and how so much of you and who you are as a person goes into what Animagus you are. Yeah. And then I questioned her on... Well, if one works like that, why couldn't the thing that you become also have such of an impact on you? So, for example, yeah, yeah. he becomes a rat. Yeah. And then is a rat for 12 years. Right. That's got to, like, change you in a way. Oh, To be yeah. in your animagus form for such an insanely long period of time. Oh, yeah. That has to also change a little bit of who you are and the squeaky voice that J.K. describes, I imagine. I don't... I'm not saying he had, like, a deep, full voice. <laughs> yeah. But maybe squeakier after being a mouse for 12 years. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, it, it leaves, and obviously he's been stressed and the rat's lost hair and become thinner which right. they describe I, there was a cool description of like right. a plump man that's clearly lost a lot of weight in a short amount of time right. look i'm like that's an interesting description i wonder though in those 12 years like if he ever was just like man i just gotta change back into human form and, like went off somewhere and was like oh okay yeah cracked his back and then went back into I, if form. i were him i would have right i mean sorry totally random thought yeah it just Go out back of the of the Weasley house and chill with the gnomes and right. like stretch your legs, kick a couple of gnomes. It's all right. good. You'd think he would have found that time. It sounds like he right? didn't, though. I mean, the right. way they portray it is... He's a rat for 12, 12 years. 12 years straight. So, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. You're going to probably take on some of those rat characteristics. Yeah. The, the one that stuck out to me was just a squeaky voice. I'm mm -hmm. like, maybe. Yeah. Um, so Lupin and Sirius start to piece together how the night went of Lily and James's death. And Pettigrew is trying to twist the story. And I, honestly, I think he does a really good job pressed against his back against the wall here. Yeah. I think he does a good job of trying to figure out ways to explain his way out of it. Yeah. 
even though he's running up against roadblocks, like, every time he says something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. like, he gets disproved by Lupin or Sirius or Harry or Hermione or whoever almost constantly throughout this whole thing. But yeah. he tries to keep spinning something mm-hmm. and make it seem reasonable. Uh, and he touched on a couple of things that we've talked about before in the podcast of, like, guys, you don't understand back then. Like, when Voldemort knocks on your door, you know, that's a whole vibe <laughs> that, you know, Sirius comes back at him with, like, well, you just, you had to die. Right. Like, if he knocks on your door, okay. Right. Die and go down a hero. Right. That people end up talking about, like, in future years, instead of taking the, quote, unquote, easier way out. Yeah. And I... I feel like that interaction, it's a great interaction. And it shows Sirius in a brave, full Gryffindor light. Loyal, yeah. Yeah. It it shows Sirius in probably the light that everybody wants someone to react in. Right. And it makes Peter look terrible. Horrible. All I would say to that is, you never know what your response is going to be when that moment arrives. Yes. You hope, everyone hopes they react like Sirius would. Right. Fear can manipulate your reaction to a, a level that you never knew possible. Right. And, and fear was already there. It didn't even take Voldemort to knock on your door like we've talked about. Uh, the fear was spreading throughout the country for weeks and months and years at this point. And then he actually shows up. Yeah. <laughs> like, all I'm saying is you you would like to think, I think everybody would like to think they would react like Sirius. Absolutely. It's just, you don't know until you know. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, plus too, like, if your life is at stake, I think our human instinct is survive. survive. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like, again... I would hope I would act, like, serious and protect my friends and my family and everything, but I don't know. Plus, too, I mean, uh, you guys have talked about it in previous podcasts. Like, we don't know, too, like, the full dynamic of how Peter was with, you know, the other Marauders. Um, You know, especially if those three... And, um, like, Sirius and uh, James being standouts. Like, there could have been a jealousy aspect of that in there. Um, Sure. I know you guys have touched on that before. You know, I kind of equate it to almost sometimes what the the stuff that happens between Harry and Ron and the jealousy factor with that. Um, Mm. You know, like, who knows? Like, maybe if Peter Pettigrew stood in front of the mirror, you know, would he see, you know, himself holding the Quidditch cup and being head boy and, you know, all, all of that entangled. So, you know, um, he's, I think he's more of an in-depth villain than we tend to give him credit for. I I love our discussions on Pettigrew because I think he is a more nuanced character than a lot give him credit for. Yeah. Um, That doesn't mean to say we're giving him a pass on his prior transgressions. Absolutely not. He's still a rat. Yeah, he's he's still he still did awful awful things. Betrayed his friends. Yeah. uh, Terrible terrible things. No one's letting him off the hook for that. But um, that interaction between him and Sirius right there, I thought it was a great interaction, and I believe Sirius would have followed through on that. Oh yeah. But if if you're in the wizarding world at that time and you just go to an average wizard's house, not a member of the order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And you ask them, are you going to die for your friend or are you going to give them up? I don't know that a majority of them would die. Right. I think some would, Yeah. you know, and it's just, and it's not because you're innately a horrible person. Right. You're just, like you said, trying to survive. You're trying to get to the next day, which exactly. is your base human instinct. Right. Uh, not even human instinct. It's right. the base instinct of all living things. 
Well, I mean, I'm taking this a dark, weird turn. Sorry. Go for it. Go but I mean, like, it. even in the military, you know, like, people get tortured over trying to give information. Sure. And, like, there's an aspect of that where, like, you train for that, you know? Most people are not yeah. trained to deal with these kinds of situations. No, it's a great point. It's like, that's <laughs> the difference between the order and maybe, like, right. the average household. Exactly. In England at the time. Yes, Lupin and Sirius might be more apt to defy Voldemort. Yeah. That's literally their job right now. Right. Others might not be. Right. And it's not because they want to be a Death Eater, it's because they just want to get to the next day. Yeah. Anyway, it's an interesting interaction between the two of them is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I gotta mention Crookshanks. Everybody's gonna be mad at me if I don't mention <laughs> the Crookshanks aspect of it. Uh, Sirius goes into <laughs> uh, that Crookshanks is an extremely smart cat. And could see through uh, the disguise mm-hmm. of Peter yes. and himself yeah. and realize that neither of us were what we presented ourselves as being. And uh, by the way, this is all a shock to Hermione. Like Hermione's learning a lot right now. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure Ron is like, I told her. Um, <laughs> but Sirius says that he, quote, found a way to communicate with Crookshanks. Which I feel like is an interesting phrasing. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, Anna said that m- maybe the fact that he was more holy dog mm-hmm. than we think, being an animagus, maybe that was his way of communicating. But then it gets into the, like, well, can a dog actually communicate with a cat? Yeah. Like, how does animal communication really work between species? Okay, so looking in human world, right? Like, Mm -hmm. in the world we live in, like, body language is a big part of how animals communicate. Sure. Like, I mean, with, like, my dog. Like, they're big on body language. Like, they can tell when you're upset. They can tell when you're angry. They can tell when you're happy. Um, For some odd reason, Odin always knows, even when I'm just changing my shoes, whether or not we're going for a walk. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm sure there's some aspect of that, but also too, they're in a magical world, right? So there's more possibilities of uh, maybe abilities to communicate. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I wonder how he <laughs> got across like rat. Right. Bad want it. Yeah. That thing. Can you get me that? I need it. (laughs) Um, Bad dude. (laughs) Or like the the Neville passwords. Like how does he get across like I want to get in there. Right. Get me specifically passwords. Right. Or maybe like Crookshanks was just like okay he wants to get into the school to get this rat. Right. I'll need to get him these. Right. Um, but yeah, that was some news dropped that right. Crookshanks was the one that stole Neville's passwords from his bedside. Right. Yeah. Uh, poor Neville. I, but, okay, so again, this just makes me wish too sometimes that we could read animals' minds and know what they're thinking and totally random, I know. Yeah. Know. Uh, we get the news that Sirius still blames himself for Lily and James' death. That was heartbreaking. Because he, and the word he uses here is specific, he quote, persuaded them. to switch secret keepers. So we've talked a little bit about how, you know, Lily and James always obviously have the final say Mm -hmm. in it. So it's not like they were completely, they approved it. Yeah. But Sirius obviously took a leading role in eventually what would cause their death. Um, So he blamed himself quite, quite a lot for that. Uh, Just him outsmarting himself. Yeah. Um, I think it was like a bluff and Voldemort called him on it (laughs) and it just, you know, you know, if Sirius could do it all over again, you just remain that way and then just take the, take the death. But then you're playing a what if now, like what if Sirius kept it Mm -hmm. and Voldemort shows up at his doorstep and let's say Sirius dies, how does the rest of it? play out from there right it uh, is well Pettigrew was already a spy at that point yeah so it yeah it's an interesting kind of back and forth but yeah 
Anyway, we find out that uh, Sirius has some insider information on Peter. Uh, his time spent in Azkaban meant he heard a bunch of death, actual Death Eaters talking. And they all wanted Peter. And they all wanted to kill Peter because they feel like the double-crosser double-crossed. Yeah. And yes, James and Lily died. But they feel as though Peter used them as a sacrifice to bring down the Dark Lord. So, um, Peter's really on an island here. There's not one person that wants him healthy and happy. Yeah. Uh, there's no, and maybe this is, that's why they, I guess they suggest that he's been a, a rat for 12 years is because there's still Death Eaters out there mm -hmm. that would be on the lookout for him. Um, so. You know what though? That is kind of an interesting take though. Like, he outs where Lily and James are, but in the end, it sends Voldemort into hiding for 12 years, and there is some peace. Like, that is an interesting take. Never really, that never really crossed my mind. What if... Like, his intentions were... I mean, obviously they didn't know that there would be a deeper love magic in that with protecting... Yeah, you can't predict you know, that, yeah. Right. But it is kind of interesting that that did end up happening, and that was the conclusion that some of them were drawn to. With Peter's ability to spin a story like he's trying to do in this chapter... Yeah. If you were Peter... Right. Would you try to spin the story back that day right of like yeah i was the secret keeper and yeah i did this but look at where we are now yeah it's one sacrifice right. or two sacrifices two sacrifices but it's a much happier world that we're now living in right do you sacrifice two people to end essentially like right a, a war right when multiple people have already died anyway right like um, using that information to your advantage. Exactly. Yeah. Do you try to spin it if you're Peter at that point? Right. But then you, again, you still have Death Eaters that would... Kill you, yeah. Try to kill you. Right. Either way, you're... You're in trouble. Yeah. And then you have Sirius and Lupin that would be like, uh, you still gave up our best friends. Right. Like, Peter was in a lose-lose situation. percent <laughs> But uh, it'd be interesting to see if he tried to spin that story. Right. And try to squirm out of it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe he gets a little bit more slack. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Still a rat. Still a rat. <laughs> uh, I did find it interesting in all of this discussion that they're having, because we found it interesting in the past, people who use the name Voldemort are few and far between. Yeah. And Lupin, Sirius, both use it uh, liberally. They have zero qualms about saying the name. Mm -hmm. And uh, which I guess just gives you an insight to their courage about it. Mm -hmm. um, Peter starts off with he who must not be named, which I feel like is an also an interesting tell because he doesn't say the Dark Lord. Right. He says, he must not be named, which I feel like is an interesting tell right there. Yes. And then the second bit, uh, he finally relents, and the second time he says it, he does say Voldemort. Mm -hmm. So he's mm -hmm. also willing to use it, which I find interesting, because there aren't many that have gotten that close to Voldemort that are comfortable saying the name Voldemort. Right. So that's kind of an interesting... Oh, for sure. It's him trying to be manipulative. You know, he's probably like, oh, wait, they don't say he who must not be named or the Dark Lord. Like, they say Voldemort. Like, he's quick could, on his toes to be like... Could be another survival tactic yeah, that he's using. Yeah. Could be. That'd be an interesting... I mean, if I shouldn't be surprised if he is trying to switch uh, tactics. Right. Like, mid-conversation, be like, right. oh, this is how this is trending. Let me go that way. Very opportunistic. Yes. Peter, I'm finding, has characteristics of Gryffindors, obviously, because he was one, mm -hmm. Ravenclaw and Slytherin. Oh, yeah. Like, he has a little bit of all three, which all three of the houses do tend to bleed into each other a little right. bit. 
but there's definitely some aspects of yeah. of Ravenclaw and Slytherin in him to be like picking up on where this is going and trying to yeah it's interesting zero uh, Hufflepuff in him yes I think that's uh, <laughs> that would be a fair <laughs> assessment to make anyway uh, I love how Hermione bless her tries to get in on this conversation I know the guts that you'd even have to open your mouth while all three of these wizards are trying to figure it out mm-hmm. and she's just like Professor Lupin uh, can I say something Lupin is just like, yes, yes, yeah. you can. <laughs> like, in that tone, like, I just picture him being like, yes, Hermione, go ahead. I heard, like, hands raised in class. <laughs> you may speak, yes. <laughs> it's just, like, wow. Um, it's just an interesting, like, that, it almost feels like that's a disconnected conversation <laughs> from everything else going around it. I just love how it just kind of follows, like, a real argument between people, though. You know, like, it, like arguments ebb and flow, and this, I feel like, obviously ebbs and flows. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have moments where it's like, okay, we're calm. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> I do like where she goes with it, though, because she mentions, like you know, Scabbers has been a rat for 12 years. Mm-hmm. How does Sirius know that A, it exists, mm-hmm. and B, which rat out of the <laughs> millions of rats there are, which one? And Lupin actually takes a step back and he's like, actually, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. That's a fair point. Sirius, you want to you wanna explain that one? Right. I just see a lot of my own mannerisms in Lupin. <laughs> like, I feel like... Actually, that's a fair question. Can, fair point. Can we, can we figure that one out? Yeah. And then Sirius kind of goes into this uh, monologue of uh, seeing the paper that Fudge... Which was mentioned, by the way, way, way back when Fudge was speaking uh, about giving him, like, the crossword puzzle or something yeah. like that. Little tidbit way in the, the past that we're now bringing back up again. But okay. he sees the paper. He sees a picture of the Weasley family notices the rat, notices the rat is missing a, uh, a toe on one of the paws, immediately puts it into uh, context because, yeah. of course, Peter would want to be near a wizarding family to keep his ear to the ground on anything Death Eater or Voldy related, especially when one of those members of the family works at the Ministry of Magic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, Peter being, you know, resourceful i guess in, in a sense and then it lights a fire in Sirius that he hadn't had yeah but he talks about like he talks about that fire being lit which mm-hmm. the dementors couldn't take from him because it's not necessarily a happy thought <laughs> it's him it's an no. he called it an obsession yeah uh which is where he gets the he's at hogwarts he's at hogwarts mantra right and then he says he escaped azkaban um because he never truly lost his mind uh, and he says it was specifically because he knew he was innocent. Yeah. Which also was not a happy thought. So they couldn't take that from him either. So the Dementors really had nothing to actually take from Sirius. Yeah, yeah. And he was able to withstand or endure. And when it got too much for him, he would always switch back into his Animagus form because Dementors can't pick up on animals as well or as easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is how he then escaped when they brought him food. He slipped out as the dog slipped between the bars, which stuns me. Yeah. Because if you're as big of a dog as we think you are, how are you slipping between the bars? bars? I get he's like malnourished and smaller, right. but still. And then the other part that got me was he swam back to land as a dog. That's impressive. That's a long doggy paddle. That is a <laughs> like, long doggy paddle. And nothing like... Ha- and, uh, I'm sorry. The only image I have of Azkaban is literally the, the few shots that they give us in the movies. It looks like Alcatraz times a thousand. Yes. A long swim. A long, very dangerous yeah. swim. And part of the... Th- and this was obviously modeled, I think, after Alcatraz a little bit. And Alcatraz is known as an inesca- inescapable prison because of currents in the in the bay and in the ocean... And sharks in the bay and in the ocean, and he's just just chilling along. I'm thinking about him being malnourished and like mm-hmm. doing all that work. Mm-hmm. Holy cow! He didn't even grab the meal on the way out. Yeah, he just left. Yeah, unbelievable. I know. 
<laughs> so, uh, but he dumps a lot of knowledge on how to escape Azkaban right there. Yeah. Not an easy feat, but he managed it. Um, I hope you know too. All I'm thinking about is Odin swimming. <laughs> I figured, yeah, and, and I mean like Odin being uh, the uh, black lad that he is, the uh, water dog. Yeah. Next time you go to, like, a forest preserve right. and he jumps in the water, you could, like, time him. Right. And we could just run an experiment and it'd be great. Yes. We'll figure it out. How fast does Odin swim? And then we'll just extrapolate it. <laughs> right. And we'll be just great. be like, yeah, that's how fast Sirius swim. Clearly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping up the chapter here, Lupin, I, I still think, forgives Sirius real, real quick mm-hmm. on uh, the whole fact that everybody thought... Lupin himself was the spy. Yeah. I feel like that's a quick apology. Uh, but I guess they trade apologies here because yeah. it's like, hey, sorry, we thought you were the spy. Oh, uh, it's okay. Sorry, I thought you were a murderer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, let's go on about our ways. It all goes down really fast. It does. It's yeah. a very, like, Lupin, bless him. He takes in a lot mm-hmm. and is expected to deal with a lot. Yeah. In very short, brief moments. He's not allowed time to process. Yeah. Um, so I, it's a miracle that he's as cool with this as he is. Yeah. Ron, I think, says the quote that we are all thinking throughout. The ones who have read this book and read the series, he finally utters the quote that I think every one of us rereading this series has thought. I let him sleep in my bed. Yeah. Like, Ron was sleeping with Peter Pettigrew for, like, years. (laughs) Like, and every time we would see a phrase of, of, like, Scabbers is in Ron's lap or something like that, we would read it as Peter Pettigrew is sitting in Ron's lap right now. It was very creepy. And Ron finally utters that, whoa, dude, this was really creepy. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's disturbing on a lot of different levels. Mm -hmm. And now all of you who are reading this for the first time are now fully aware of that creepiness. Not a spoiler anymore. It is what it is. Yes. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, just wrap your head around that for a second. Yes. And then uh, you and I are both in healthcare professions. Mm -hmm. Um, After all of this kind of simmers down. Ron allows Lupin to kind of come over and address the leg, which yeah. he tried to do earlier, but Ron threw him to the side of, like, you're a werewolf, get away from me. Right. Uh, which I think we wanted to talk about a little bit more. But this time, things are a little bit more clear. Ron is still upset more at Pettigrew of anything else. So right. Lupin comes over and uses the spell Furlula. Yeah. Furlula. 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 Yeah. I don't know. I can't say it. I would be bad at this. Um, but he uses that spell to bandage Ron's legs. Bandages come out and attaches it to a splint. Yeah. Um, I know I, I, I'm more in a field setting. Uh, I would love that. Yeah. That would make my life so much easier. I know. I underlined that because I saw that. And I'm like, oh, man, I bet you Dan oh, was so jealous of this spell. So jealous. So jealous. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, let's pause here for a second, and we'll get into uh, some spoilers. Uh, I think you had th- some thoughts on the werewolf thing, uh, so we'll get into those in the spoilers. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. You! You foul and loads of them evil little cockroach! All right, so we are back with the spoiler section of Chapter 19, The Servant of Lord Voldemort, and I think Molly had some werewolf takes. I do. This episodes, you guys have discussed werewolves. Um, Y'all know that I am a big Molly Weasley, Weasley family in general fan. Um, And I can see where, you know, there can be some prejudice towards werewolves, considering what they can do, how dangerous they can be in terms of how they go about things. you take a look at the dangerous ones that come from Lord Voldemort's team. You know, bites little children, turns little children into werewolves. Um, yeah, as a mom, I would probably be like, yeah, stay away from werewolves. You're telling me, uh, you're telling me Greyback is not a wonderful, kind, 
werewolf human being combo. That's, you know, that's a hot take, Molly. I don't know that we can condone such. Yeah. <laughs> so as a mother, you know, and especially with how Molly Weasley is with her children and being so protective of her kids, I think most of what comes through to me with Molly Weasley is just how protective she is over her kids. She's a mama bear. So, you know, she, she wants the best for her kids. Um, and she wants, I'm sure, for her kids to be accepted within society. And, you know, again, is every werewolf a bad werewolf? No. But there are a lot of them out there. Um, I can fully understand Ron at first finding out that Lupin is a werewolf, being like, uh, yeah, no, uh, get away from me. Like, I don't know if you're going to, like, bite me or whatever. There's definitely a stereotype and a stigma that goes along with werewolf. Yes. Yeah. I have done some research myself on werewolves and Remus Lupin. Um, because, I mean, this is the book to do both. Right. <laughs> so, right. So werewolves are known to particularly go after humans, not animals. Which, again, would track with the Animagus thing and their plan to be Animagus for and specifically, um, muggles uh, usually die from werewolf bites. Yeah. Wizards and witches can die, but are more apt to surviving a bite. Hence the propagation of more and more werewolves. That's how they quote unquote breed for the most part. Although, fun fact. You know what fun fact I did find about Ooh, werewolves? What? So if two werewolves were to meet and mate during a full moon. Yeah. Supposedly, and this is from the wizarding world, I'm not making this up. Like, okay. this is from a Harry Potter source. Okay. They would produce cubs, like wolf cubs. Oh, wow. Not human at all in any way, shape, or form. Just straight up wolf cubs. Oh. And the only, and not werewolves. Yeah. Like, wolf. Yeah. And the only discernible difference between those wolf cubs and actual wolves is just the wolf cubs would have a higher level of intelligence. Oh. Like a near human intelligence level. Yeah. Which is a scary thought anyway, like wolves with a, right. like a human intelligence. Right. Uh, that's the only discernible difference. And it's rumored huh. that Dumbledore actually let uh, cubs of that ilk being born to two werewolves meeting and mating on a full moon yeah into the forbidden forest and oh. there's a set of those cubs in the forbidden forest that's awesome which has led credence to the werewolves quote unquote even though that's not technically true in the forbidden yeah. forest huh that's really fascinating information yep it's an exceedingly rare thing yes but according to the wizarding world it has happened yes and it's a thing can I have a pet wolf cub? <laughs> we, we, can, we can work on finding two werewolves and, and getting that done. You can adopt a werewolf cub. That doesn't sound dangerous at all. I would hope that the werewolf would give birth as a werewolf, because that would be some right. messed up, right. messed up stuff. Yeah. And I guess I wouldn't really want them, like, I don't know, as pets. I, this is the Newt Scamander in me. I'm like, yeah. hmm. I want to meet these now, wolf cubs. Uh, that was a random offshoot tangent, uh, but fun fact for you yeah. guys. Um, but as far as Lupin goes, and to your point about um, the stigma or the stereotype behind werewolves, there was so Lupin's father, uh, who I believe his name is Lyle, L Y A L L, Lupin. Okay. Uh, was actually a gifted wizard in his own right, who actually was an expert on magical creatures. I'm blanking on what the term for the magical creature was, but oh. let's let's think about like uh, like poltergeist, boggarts. Yeah. And there was one other one that he threw in there and I can't remember off the top of my head, but those types of entities, which also would indicate then boggart is more of a spirit yeah. than a creature. Okay. Uh, which might be the reason why it taps into fears so well in the yeah. psyche. But anyway, he was particularly known for dealing with Welsh boggarts, hmm. and he was an expert at it. Yeah. He was known for it. 
And when Voldemort was on the rise, he was asked to be part of the Ministry of Magic. He was offered a job in the Department of Regulation of Magical Creatures, whatever. Mm -hmm. And because obviously Voldemort was recruiting creatures of dark natures, including boggarts and dementors and other things like that. So he was asked to take part in it. Well, as a part of that section of the ministry, he came across Fenwer Greyback, uh. who was arrested for the potential murder of two muggle children. Yeah. He, Greyback, supposedly argued uh, that he was stunned to be in the wizarding world. He was stunned that this even existed and wizards and witches are a thing and oh my gosh, this is sensational. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? Well, his shabby appearance and the fact that he didn't actually possess a wand made the ministry believe him that he wasn't a wizard. Really? So they were about to let him go. And Lyle was in the room and his expertise on magical creatures and that of dark nature, he was in the room and he was like, what are you talking about? There's a full moon, like not 24 hours from now. Let's just hold him and see if he transforms, yeah. done and done. And they're like, no, nah, I think we're good. And Lyle was like, are you kidding me? If he's a werewolf, they're deranged, they're sadistic, they're murderous, they're blah, blah, blah. And he went off on this trail yeah. of negative characteristics of werewolves. Yeah. Greyback's listening to all of this in the room. And they, the ministry overrules Lyle, lets Greyback go. Greyback goes back to his coven of werewolves and is like, this guy in the ministry was saying all this stuff about us yeah. and how we're not human and how we're soulless evil beings. Let's show him how soulless and evil we can be then. Yeah. If he's going to depict us like that, Let's make him right. Yeah. What happened? Greyback breaks into Remus's room right before his fifth birthday, bites him, wanted to kill him. Lyle broke in, blasted Greyback out of the room. Mm -hmm. Too late. Yeah. And that's how Lupin became a werewolf. That's the back history of why specifically Greyback targeted Remus oh, as wow. a child. I didn't, yeah, that's awesome. So, um, but to hit that, the, that stigma and that stereotype, uh, because the, the reality of it is, obviously, except for a couple of days in and around the full moon, they're just normal, average people. Yes, they could be murderous, mm -hmm. but if they're murderous, they're probably murderous before they turn into a werewolf anyway. Right. Uh, like Greyback, for example. Right. Uh, but if they're not, like Lupin, like Remus, um, yeah, they turn murderous in right. those in that full moon time but generally they're just nice regular people right um which grayback knew and he's like wow this guy's portraying us as this that or whatever he's perpetuating the stereotype yeah. of all werewolves we'll show him what we can do then yeah um so that's an example and then lyle you know went on and remembered that interaction with Greyback, and he's like, I did this. Yeah. Because I called him all of those things in that room, and then he targeted my son. Right. That's, yeah. that's my bad. So gut-wrenching. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's an interesting story about the whole stereotype background of it. So even Lyle, who knows what werewolves are, still had that stigma and that stereotype. Right. If an educated individual like that knew, and I'm not saying like Molly's not educated, she obviously is, but... Yeah the normal witcher wizard will probably just lean into those stereotypes oh, and stigmas sure. and not realize that people like Remus exist yeah. that are that can produce productive lives in the wizarding world outside of a couple of days of right. a month right um and like there were things supposedly put in play I'm sorry I'm going off on a whole no, tangent no I appreciate on. it cuz it's you know enlightening me there was, uh, there was supposedly the Ministry of Magic tried to put things in place mm -hmm. to help werewolves during their transition. And um, they tried like a couple of different uh, sects of the government to help, including like a were I There's an actual name for it, and I'll get it on the next podcast, I promise. But, um, or the next one, next one. 
I'll get it on there. But uh, it was like essentially a werewolf hotline. Oh. Like you can call and be yeah. like and help the transition process and like call and get help through it, almost like a therapy. Right. Here's the one drawback. Most people had stereotypes and stigmas of this. Wouldn't hire you, wouldn't talk to you. You'd be a outcast of society. So who signed up for these things? No one. Right. <laughs> no one would admit yeah. to being a werewolf because they'd right. be stigmatized. Right. So no one helped. No yeah. one signed up for the help. Yeah. And they, I think one of the programs completely fell through. And yeah. then one of the programs is, I think, still technically part of the Department for Regulation. Right. Things. So. Right. Yeah. And then they had an issue, apparently, at one point, do we classify werewolves as beasts mm -hmm. or beings which i think is the same thing as like centaurs go through are you a beast or are you a being yeah right. <laughs> so right and they couldn't I, I don't think as far as i know the ministry would have come up with an answer to that question as of this book right yeah it's a complicated topic for sure that's a long rant on werewolves no it's the, the more you know the more you know you can understand you understand where the stigma is coming from. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I mean, yeah, that's that's totally fair. And I get how, I get Anna's point on Molly does lean into the tabloid side of things. Like she does buy into like Lockhart. Oh, yeah. You know, completely. Right. And a couple other things like that. Right. I could She's see her buying into that, yeah. Wizard. But she's far from the only one. Right. Um, and werewolves are scary. Yeah. And I think, you know, Anna and I talked about she does go through a development process. We don't really ever know if she's still cautious around Remus, I guess. I don't know how cautious she ever is around Remus. I don't. But she obviously spends a lot of time around him. Yeah. I think, too, it's just like it's, it's never for sure mentioned that. Molly Weasley has these stigmas about werewolves. I think, too, that was the other issue. You know, like, I don't ever remember a time where Molly has been like, hey, werewolves. I mean, obviously, yes, Ron is, you know, probably coming up with these opinions and these ideas from his parents, you know. Um, you got to get them from somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And growing up in a wizarding family, they're probably... And who knows? I mean, wizarding media, yeah. like shows and stuff, probably don't do any better job of depicting werewolves in a, exactly. in a great, you know, exactly. in a great light. So... So... But from a... Mo like, I'm not a mother. Um, but, like, from a mother's perspective, I could, you know understand being like yeah no stay away from that like that's not that's that's scary well sure i mean especially when you know that they target children. wizard children yeah yeah so um again not saying that all werewolves are bad oh yeah and it's like i guess it's like i said like a form of breeding in a way where they do that out of instinct to create more of them right so Greyback is a special case where he is specifically doing it maliciously and yeah. it's talked about like he puts himself right. in specific situations. Right. He like, I'm going to turn this day, let me go to a zoo or something like that yeah. where I have the most potential to do the most damage. Right. And I mean, if you think about it that way, it's like that, okay, if you put it into like a media news, real world type of scenario, you know, um, this is not, like, this is not the norm, right? This being advertised that, like, hey, all werewolves are, like, gray back. Mm hmm You know? Yep. So, there's that aspect of it, too. There's a lot. We just talked a lot about werewolves. We did. Do you have anything else on werewolves? No. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel like I shared way more opinions than I really thought I had too. So yeah, I, I'm, yeah. Um, everybody else does deep dives on this podcast, and I figured I'd try to do one on werewolves and, and remus. I thought that was excellent. I really enjoyed that. It was fun hearing a deep dive from you. I know, right? Hey, yeah. I, I, I'm capable of doing a deep dive. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to get to from this chapter, especially, and this is a spoiler of spoilers. 
Snape. Yeah. So I'm going to start this off because I know people are going to get all riled up and it's, <laughs> oh, Dan is saying stuff again on the podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. So I'm going to preface this by saying <laughs> Snape is obviously under a... Uh, a certain type of mindset in this chapter. He's a little deranged, mm-hmm. he's a little over the top, he's a little dramatic, mm-hmm. all of the above. Mm-hmm. He is not his calm, cool, collected self that he normally is, as vindictive as he is. Yeah. He's usually still calm, reserved, and calculating. Mm-hmm. He's not any of those in this chapter. Yeah. That all being said, we know where this character goes, and we know what his motivations are. Uh, which are revealed in the last book, uh, to the dismay of many. <laughs> many disagree, agree, whatever. But it always, it always comes down to the always part of it. Yeah. Uh, my point being, just to get straight to the point, I think Snape, yes, he has, believe me, he has selfish motivations here. Yeah. He has vindictive, selfish motivations, yes. Yeah. That being said, in his mind... From all the facts that he knows, which are not completely out of question, he's walking into a shrieking shack with a werewolf on the night he's supposed to transform because Snape notes that he hadn't taken his potion that night. Mm -hmm. So he's walking into the shrieking shack knowing that a werewolf might change at any point that night. Number one. Number two, he believes Sirius Black killed not only Peter, but killed many muggles when he blew up the street and is a follower of Voldemort. So, he, I think, truly believes he's the hero in this situation. He's going to come in and save the three children, no matter how much he actually dislikes Ron, (laughs) Harry, and Hermione. Right. I truly think he believes he thinks he's the hero here. Oh, yeah. Like, he's sweeping in, and as far as the facts that he knows... Yeah. I think he believes that he's saving these children. Right. Uh, which would then fulfill his uh, protecting Harry promise to Dumbledore. Right. So, in a weird roundabout way, despite the selfish motivations that he has, secondary, it's like a, he literally comes in, and I think that's why he's so triumphant mm-hmm. when he takes off the cloak and he's like, ha ha. Yeah. It's because it's a win, 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 win for him here. <laughs> like, saves the day, yeah. saves these children, gets to get one over on Lupin and Sirius, yes. puts a murderer back in jail, and possibly opens up the Defense Against the Dark Arts job for, like, he is winning across the board here. Oh, yeah. Like, he must be so overjoyed. And all of his thoughts and reasonings aren't, too far off of the truth. Yeah. I mean, the end result is off, obviously. Yeah. But his connections are not terribly wrong. No. Like, everything he knows lines up to have his result. Yeah. Snape's a fun character in this chapter. Yeah. Kind of, to just kind of pick apart. Right. Um, and the idea that, oh, well, I'll, again, this is spoilers, so Snape being a Death Eater. And being, like, a very close connection with Voldy himself, wouldn't he know that Sirius is the spy, or who is the spy? Or Peter was the spy, for that matter. Right. Um, as close to the chest as Dumbledore is, Voldy plays a lot of things close to the chest himself. And I don't know that he'd divulge all of his plans to all of his Death Eaters, even the ones that are in his inner circle, like the the Bellatrixes and the Dollahoffs and the, you know, whatever. Uh, Anna will like that I got Dollahoff into a podcast. Um, <laughs> but, so no, he wouldn't necessarily know who that spy was. Yeah. Or to what end game that spy was being played. Right. Um, all he knows is that, as far as that whole thing goes, he was the one that informed Voldemort of the, the prophecy itself. Yeah. That's all he really knows about it, yeah. right? As far as I'm aware. I think so. So um, so he obviously has his own part to play, hence wanting to come through for Lily, hence the promise to Dumbledore to protect Harry, hence him coming into the Shrieking Shack. And all. It all. Wands a-blazing. 
<laughs> yes. Sparks coming out of the wand a little bit. I'm just saying, like, Snape's got a lot going on in his head, and he really, I truly believe he 100% thinks he's the hero here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. But, I don't know. It's just interesting. A lot of people will come at me and probably be like, oh, uh, protecting Harry thing. There's no way he was, you know, coming in there with a the thought of protecting Harry. And I'm not saying that was his first thought. Right. I'm just saying it was a thought. Right. <laughs> well, I think it's a bundle of mixed emotions. I yeah. mean, running into two people that, well, yeah, two people that basically tormented you throughout your adolescent years, mm -hmm. you know, on top of all of the history of Lily and oh, for sure. protecting Harry, but at the same time, Harry being, you know, seeing James and Harry, it's a very heated situation. I think you can almost take a little bit of the protecting Harry thing from some of his quotes. Like, he can come at Harry a lot harder than he does. Right. And it's because he's yelling at him and, you know, calling him a fool and all these things. Or you were played like a fool. And Snape's just like, just get out. Yeah. Just get out of here. Right. Like, let me deal with these. You go. Right. And Harry takes it as like a dismissive, I'm a student thing. And, right. And I, obviously he has no idea at this time right. that Snape's, you can't tell me that there is 0% of Snape that's like, I got to protect this kid from a werewolf and a murderer. Yeah. Like, I get he has a lot of personal right. stuff that he's got to take care of right now. Right. But... You can't tell me that 0% of Snape is like, I gotta protect this kid from yeah. these dangerous inter individuals. Right. right. So, but yeah, I don't know. I just found it super fascinating. Yeah, he's a great character. We are gonna stop it here and hopefully enjoyed the conversation. We talked a whole lot about a lot of different things and a lot <laughs> about werewolves and Snape and all kinds of different things. So we hope you enjoyed and we will see you next week for chapter 20. Molly's gonna be back with us. I am. It's another short chapter. It's like yeah. a really condensed short chapter, so. Yeah, it did give me some feels though. All right, well, yeah. uh, I'm excited for, the, for chapter 20 and we'll be right back. So for Molly, I'm Dan, thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.